What a week. I feel very aware that the world may very well have changed by the time people listen to this. Mm. It's been a funny old time for us in the UK because we're now about to go into what people are calling lockdown two, but it isn't as extensive as the first lockdown that we had earlier on in the year. Schools, nurseries, universities, for example, are still going to be open. Yeah, um, which affects us yes. massively. As... Hugely. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think, and I heard this on a podcast, so mm. I am ripping this off the Luke and Pete show. Um, Carry on. Which is a good podcast. Mm. I think when we locked down in March, I think there was an element of, oh, this is a bit different, isn't it? But we are now darker nights. Yes. Um, we can't just go out for a little walk at seven o'clock because it's, well, we can, but it's pitch black and cold. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. I think everyone's just feeling full of dread around this. Yeah, I get the real sense that people are feeling really weary as mm. well. There's this weariness around it of, like you say, before it was something different, although for a lot of people it wasn't a good different. No. Especially if you were ill or you had a member of your family who had passed away. Mm. So always feeling that we need to acknowledge that. But I think the physical feeling of going into something mm. different it is just like, wow, this is... Yeah, I think and there is a... Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you mean, like sat in front of the telly, feeling mm. like we were in a film. Yeah. That was... I remember that feeling of, wow, I, I can't actually imagine this is happening, but it is happening because I'm watching it. Yes. That sort of mm. thing. But now... I think, we, like I say, we're tired. Yeah, I think we are. And I'm not just talking about us, as in we. I think collectively mm. we are tired. And there's so much change as well. Yeah. And it comes so quickly. So if you're someone who doesn't like change, hello, this can be really troublesome and can really play with your mental health yes. and the way that you approach each day. Yeah, I know I felt very sort of vulnerable the last few days and not particularly strong. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's just going to be a case of talking about it and being, I think, open and honest with each other. Um, And we we will get through this. We will. I'm I'm confident. I'm confident we will. (laughs) Anyway. Um, And hopefully, if you are in America, hopefully by the time you listen to this, there isn't civil war and, yeah. Oh, yeah, and we're recording this the night of the American election. Yes. So that puts a timestamp on this. Mm. And we are not sure which way it's going to go. Last time, um, America went to the polls. You put a bet on Trump winning, which at the time wasn't uh he wasn't odds on favorite or anything like that was he i'm using betting terms that i don't understand by the way <laughs> no yes i can tell odds on favorite yes no, and i don't yeah, know what that means no. <laughs> uh, yeah so he drifted out massively um to quite long odds about 10 to 1 but then when the results came in you started to say well he's doing better there than i thought and yeah and so we we got we just thought well, well might as well just whack a tenner on and we made a few quid out of it. Yeah, we went which... out for a meal. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, that's the only way to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't be doing that tonight because I'm too tired. But uh... No, I was about to say, were you gonna, are you going to do it again? No, I mean, I might just, if I'm up feeding Blake, I might mm. just keep an eye on the odds and see, see what happening. the latest news is. But... And actually, you, because it's your night tonight to look after the tiny tyrant. Thank you. So you're welcome. 
Um, so you will, um, you'll be able, you'll be up and about and looking at news and you'll have more information than I will. They say it's probably not going to break the decision until sort of very early in, like early hour time. So okay. I wouldn't expect a decision. We'd probably have an idea. Uh, the latest polls as far as, I mean, we're talking about this, like it's not going to be completely out of date by the yeah, time people know, listen to I it. Know. The latest polls at the minute show that it might be a Biden landslide. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? That's how to make your podcast look old, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> yeah. you'll know more than us when yeah. you're listening to this. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, no better way to guarantee a Donald Trump victory than to say, <laughs> looks like there's Joe Biden landslide like coming. Landslide. 13 yeah. million votes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, you now know how, what, how, it, how it's gone. Yeah. So, uh, Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Godspeed. Should we talk about things that aren't going to lose us voters from uh, losers American listeners? Oh, let's have a go. Oh, we, I mean, we well, might, it might. Yeah, it might. <laughs> Just, I, I no can, promises. I know a few people who might not listen after what <laughs> I need to say about a few things. Watching television, watching television. So one of the things that we've been talking about coming back to for ages we've said this loads of times usually when we're cooking tea or something it's we've got to come back to lovecraft country so it's been a while since lovecraft country was on but i really want to return to it just really briefly and talk to you about it because you left it i finished it let's just return to it for a moment i left it with two episodes to go yeah which is uncharacteristic of me after having sat through eight episodes there to be two more and me go, nah, nah, nah. That's not worth two hours of my time. Yeah. And I completed it. Um, oh, that was a big M from me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now trying to think of what I want to say about it. So can I tell you, because <sighs> I've thought a lot about this. Okay, go on. So my opinion on this is, we were so excited by the pilot. Do, do you remember the week after the pilot, it was the week, remember this, when we actually went out for meals with our friends? <laughs> yes. Uh, went for a nice socially distant Sunday lunch with our friends at Wylam. And uh, all the children. And we were gushing about how good this show was. And it, I think this is one of the strongest pilots I've still ever seen. The second that they pulled the rug out of me on the second episode by taking what I assumed to be like a mythology string that was going to run through the series, resolving all those plot points in episode two, but putting a really boring mythology all the way through it, I think it lost me there. And I was hoping that it might bring it round. There was a few episodes which were really interesting from a visual visual point of view, from a content point of view, um, that... Obviously, deals with a lot of American race relations and things like that. And there was some really interesting concepts about people experiencing different different views of the world, um, going to different cultures and seeing them. And by themselves, as standalone episodes, something like Black Mirror or Inside Number Nine, that would have been that I'd I'd have loved them because they worked really well. But all the way through, they returned to this family, secret society, and I hated every minute of that. And every single time it was just like, I don't care about this. And it took away from the content of every other episode. The actors were doing sterling jobs. Um, the, all the episodes looked brilliant. I mean, there is some imagery that really stayed with me all the way through it, but it was bloody boring. Nearly said a far harsher swear word there. <laughs> 
So I don't really need to say anything because you've just summed up everything that I feel about the show, apart from the fact that I wanted to continue to the end because I wanted to see what happens. Not because I was thinking that it would come back around. I think it had lost me by that point. Yeah. For exactly the same reasons that you're talking about. That golden thread that takes you through a show. I'm going to go back to Lost because, you know, it's one of our favourites and I mm. think it's, it's a useful analogy. You have standalone episodes that take you off to different places and give you different content in Lost, but you have this golden thread going all the way through of something that you're interested in, or yep. at least from, from my perspective. Other people might feel differently, mm. but from my perspective, I am interested in smoke monsters and um, the Dharma Initiative, for yeah. <laughs> all those people. From, What's in from, the you know, Exactly. That to me, and, and, the, and you know, time travel and uh, where is this island, all of that sort of thing. I loved all of that. But with this show, the golden thread, which is exactly what you've just alluded to, this mythology, the secret society that this family are involved with, mm. just didn't capture my imagination. For right or for wrong, it mm. just didn't do it for me. And every time we went back into that storyline, I was bored. Yeah. I found that I didn't really care about the characters because they were so invested in this storyline and I wasn't. Yeah. But like you say, there were some beautiful parts of this show and I really what I took away from it in particular was the educational side as a white woman looking at the at black culture mm. at looking at black history history that I didn't know existed yeah for shame and being educated in terms of those ideas and concepts and events that was what I took away from it. And I think I mentioned that last time on the podcast when I was saying to you, I really feel like I'm being taught things and not in a overly, oh, I'm going to teach you something, but just mm. in terms of taking so much out of this show that I didn't, I, I didn't expect to get. But I think you're right in terms of if it, I, I get that from a Black Mirror episode. Yeah. And a number of these were, to me, perfect black mirror episodes that turn the mirror on us yeah. and make us look at things through a different view there was one episode in particular that i thought had so much to say from the viewpoint of black women from the viewpoint of people um looking at gender sexuality race episode it five was that... so powerful mm. yeah yeah so so powerful and i would love people to go and watch that because I think it teaches you so much because it puts you in a completely in, in someone else's shoes and you see through someone else's eyes and I think it's incredibly challenging to what we see on on the television in terms of heteronormativity in terms of the people that we see on our screens and what they look like I think I would argue that someone should go and see episode one and episode five, um, and then stop there. And if they, if in episode five there is any mention of a secret society, just ignore that. Just, just take that time. Just check your text messages or WhatsApp because I'm not a hundred years old. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that because I think there's just so much more in this show. It, it's. It's a difficult one because there are other Im images that, you know, you've talked about having imagery that stayed with you. I have as mm. well, really reminiscent of imagery that we had from us, imagery that we had from Get Out, yeah. which is clearly ob obvious because the links are there in terms of the people behind the show. Yeah. 
And the, those images are so powerful. Those concepts are so powerful. So you, I, I'm at a real loss of it for what to say because I don't just think people should see that. I think they should see the whole thing through. But knowing full well that in the back of my brain, I'm going, but there's a bit that I found really boring going going all the way through it. I find it really hard. I, I find 100% it hard. don't think that people should mm-hmm. watch this. And I think it's, I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm just very disappointed yeah. in it. Yeah, I found myself, the, the last episode I know you didn't watch, but I found myself just not really caring. And that's awful from, mm. from that perspective. And there were some very strange choices, very strange choices in that last episode that kind of go, really, we've got this far and that's happened? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting that not many people are talking about it now. Well, I've not heard anyone other than like us talk about it. Uh, so... Anyway, we said it we were only going to be brief. Return it to me <laughs> briefly, so let, let's draw it to a close there. I, I, if there is going to be a season two, I don't think I'll is there? return. If, I'm just saying if there is uh, going to be one, I don't, I don't think, think I'd return. I don't, okay. think, I don't think it's got anywhere near enough hype mm. to justify it, but okay. uh, you never know. Can I talk about something a bit more up to date? Yes, you can. I'd like to talk about episode one of The Undoing. Right. Which so, you haven't seen. I think. Uh, is this the Nicole Kidman one or is this the uh, Hugh Laurie one? <laughs> this is the Nicole Kidman one. Okay. So it's Nicole Kidman and it's Hugh Grant. You've, you've put me off with a, too many Hughes there. But Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, living at the Upper East Side of New York with their only son and having a wonderful time. You should see the apartments. You should see the what the way... Nicole is wafting through New York. She's a therapist. He's a paediatric oncologist. They are, you know, star couple. Their son goes to this incredibly posh school where I think it's like $50,000 a term or something like that. So, you know, on the face of it, I should be loving this because it's just beautiful apartments, beautiful houses. Everyone's going to dinner and eating fantastic food in beautiful restaurants in New York. She actually comes out, she, they live near Central Park, and she actually comes out of a bit of Central Park that we came out of, and she <laughs> passes the Ghostbusters Hotel, the place uh, where the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man attacks at the end, that well, we stood outside for quite go. a long time. Five so stars. I was excited about that. I was excited about that. Um, this is a murder mystery. It's based on a novel that came out a few years back, it is a David E. Kelly production, so you're looking at Big Little Lies. Yes. So yeah. Kidman's absolutely involved in the production of this as well. Mm. It's got all the big names, like you say. You've got Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, and various other people whose names escape me. Apart from Edgar Ramirez, who I do remember, because he played the um, he played Bodie in the remake of Point Break. And I haven't quite forgiven him for that, but he is lovely in this. He's he's a lovely policeman in this. He reminded me a little bit of Mark Ruffalo. One of of your favourites. Which is one of my favourites. So he's doing a bit of a sort of a Columbo, a bit of a, you know, policeman that doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, but he actually really does. So I'm enjoying him in this, in the first episode. Okay. There is only one episode that I can see at the moment because they're doing that thing. This is a Sky Atlantic um, production. Is it a Sky Atlantic? Would you call it a Sky Atlantic production or would you say it's on Sky Atlantic? Well, I think it's a HBO production. Oh, is it? Um, but I think <laughs> they are, Sky Atlantic has it, or Sky's a deal through Atlantic to show all the HBO content. They probably have got a production credit on it with it being at least partially having a British actor in it, but yeah. 
So anyway, you can only see one of it. Yes. <laughs> you can only see episode one at the moment. There are six episodes in total. This is really bizarre, right? And I don't know whether it's because of the week that we're having, but this should tick all my boxes. It's a murder mystery. It's posh people in New York with lots of money. It's beautiful, beautiful surroundings. And much like Succession, which we're watching season two of at the moment, I I typically have a fantastic time looking at how the other half live. Yes. But with this, it really annoyed me. <laughs> it annoyed me how much privilege these people have. It annoyed me how they were holding up a glass of water at a fundraiser going, who will bid a thousand pounds for this glass of water? What value underprivileged children's education? Because they were going to give the money the money was going to go towards scholarships for children who could, wouldn't traditionally be able to go to the school to be able to go there. Oh, the bastards and, raising money for that. Oh, no, it just was, it was the, that sort of, oh, I can't tell you how I feel, but that, there was just something so unsavoury about it. When they're holding up this glass of water and bidding on this glass of water to make a point, but then saying, um, you know, our school is all about diversity and the camera pans back. And it's just full of white posh people. So this in the sounds room. like it, them. They want you to feel this way about them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, it knows what it's saying. Mm. But and that's why I'm saying that traditionally this would have been right up my street. But I think just this week has pushed me over the edge, and I just don't want to see these posh people doing brilliantly this <laughs> week. <laughs> But in any event, it's very 90s. It feels very 90s. Okay. I am going to keep going with it because I think I might have just been in a bit of a grump. Yes. There are some strange choices. And this is maybe where the 90s or, you know, it feels not of today, not modern. Yes. Comes from. I say this advisedly, okay? This episode just had a complete obsession with this woman's boobs. Okay. So the characters are obsessed with them. They're constantly calling out that she has these perfect boobs or these fantastic boobs. She gets them out to breastfeed her child. She has a, uh, um, a dress and obviously you can see cleavage. Mm. And then... Which character is this? Is this... This is... Um, I think her name might be Elena or Ala- Elena. Uh, yeah, Elena. Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at the cast list now. Um, there's then this really odd scene where she comes up to Nicole Kidman in like the gym changing rooms or, you know, health fitness club changing rooms. Mm-hmm. And it's completely full frontal. And it's completely full frontal and it's really, it's in your face because you are meant to be in the place of Nicole Kidman and I think you're meant to feel unnerved by it because she feels unnerved by it that this woman that she hardly knows has come up to her in the changing room completely naked and put her body right in front of her face when she's sitting. Right, well, sorry about that. Um, all this talk of 
hardcore nudity and uh <laughs> hardcore nudity well it's proper nudity seems to have um made our little microphone um explode but we're back now yeah we're back now so apologies for that so when we when the technology failed us mm. it seems that you were talking about naked ladies in changing rooms. G- gym changing rooms funny funny that you remember that bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just it seemed a bit weird that was all like i'm no prude but it just didn't quite seem to fit with the sort of drama that we have today. And I'm not sure we would have got that in Big Little Lies, which is why I'm saying it feels a bit of, of the 90s, essentially. If there's one thing missing from Big Little Lies, it's full frontal nudity. <laughs> so, uh... But yeah, I'm going to keep going. Me too. <laughs> I'm going to watch episode two um, and see... see what happens with it but yeah i thought i'd be raving about it and i'm not but that doesn't mean to i, say haven't, I haven't that, even seen it it's, uh... <laughs> that doesn't mean to say that it's not worthwhile because it is it's it's beautiful it yeah. looks great and yeah. um, it's an intriguing premise although it, it seems very bog standard murder mystery at the moment but it, it's you know it is what it is let's see where it goes if there's one thing missing from murder she wrote <laughs> Please don't bring Angela Lansbury into this. I'm not bringing Angela Lansbury into it. Good. Just some of the supporting players. Shall we talk about films? Yes, please. <laughs> so with cinemas still showing very little, um, I've seen a film that's been released on streaming this month ish and we've separately but together watched uh, another film yeah so i'll start with mine yeah start with yours the one that i haven't seen so i watched i think to give it its succinct title borat subsequent movie film um i don't know there's more of the title and the title changes through it if you anyone who's listened to this knows anything about borat knows what this film is it is Sasha Baron Cohen dressing as a Kazakh journalist going to America and putting himself with people who don't quite get the joke and have somewhat extreme views um, or certainly react to don't react to him in the way that you would expect someone coming and espouting the opinions that he does. Um, in my mind, I am bored of Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, I was bored of him watching the trial of Chicago 7 but I watched this because it certainly was topical a lot of people talking about it and I think it's made the news for various different reasons Mm. I wish it hadn't because well I think it's important that it did (laughs) some of the situations are in but I wish I knew less about it when I was watching it it did really seem to capture the imagination Mm. I think at this time given the election uh, it was perfectly timed yeah I was going through this thinking, I'm not really into this. I think if you spend any time looking at it, you can see that it's probably more constructed reality than actual documentary itself. But the thing that shines out in this is the performance of Maria Bakalova, who is, as far as I can tell, a very inexperienced actress coming from Bulgaria mm-hmm. who plays uh, Borat's younger daughter. Yeah, I think there's a lot of situations where if a politician walked into a room with 
and Sash Baron Cohen was there, he would recognise them straight away. Yeah. So for a lot of the time, it's her that's put in front of them. And she's put in some situations which make me extremely uncomfortable. There is, of course, a camera crew and production crew around her at all times, but there is an incredibly brave performance from her just to put herself in those situations because there are times when she's maybe a couple of minutes away from being in a very sticky situation. Mm. Um, I went through all of this thinking, yeah, okay, like, I see the point you're trying to make. I don't believe that's necessarily everything it, you're making out to be. Um, there is a big set piece at the, towards the end, which if you've read the headlines, you will know about, but someone certainly does not come off Shining of Roses in this. Uh, Shining of Roses? Shining of Roses, yeah, yeah. Smelling of Roses. Smelling of Roses. And... Yeah. Um, but the ending of this really caught me by surprise, really made me actually laugh out loud, lol. Um, <laughs> and so I think this is a... a a decent stab at a second film. I don't want to see a third one, certainly for okay. a long time. I don't want to see a Bruno film for mm. another time. I don't want to see... Was it The Dictator? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Can we just see Sasha Baron Cohen doing something different? Look, would have loved to have seen him with Freddie Mercury. And that... He was up for that, wasn't he? He was up for that role and then he fell out with the rest of Queen. I suspect that's not a difficult thing to do. <laughs> uh, I mean... But I think that would have been something really interesting. Yeah, it would have been something different. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody anyway, so... I know you're not, yeah. I know. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting, and isn't it... It's a sign of the times, isn't it, that people know who Borat is now. So yeah. he has to bring in someone mm. else. And I love the fact that he's brought in a woman. Um, I agree, I've not seen... I've, obviously, I've not seen this film... But I agree that from the clips that I've seen, she has put herself into a number of situations. I know you call it like sticky situations, but yeah. a number of situations that could go incredibly wrong. Yeah. And my understanding is that her audition is actually in this film. Yes. So he auditioned her by taking her out and filming her in a live situation yeah. to see what she, she could do. Mm. And my understanding is that she can give absolutely as much as he can in terms of an improvised performance. She's better than him. Yeah, she's, okay. She's better than him. Because I think with Borat, there is that kind of almost self-parody of my wife and mm, things like that. Yeah. Whereas she is playing this almost straight, mm. but with ludicrous situation. Yeah. Um, she, she's brilliant, and I really hope that she can use this to um, make a career for herself mm -hmm. in more more traditionally scripted comedy or drama mm -hmm. and she stands a chance because she's she's very very good in this Great. for someone who's 24 um, yeah. yeah should we talk about Rebecca yes please something completely different yes something very very different so Ben Wheatley of indie films <laughs> with Lots of murders in normally, or people in a field. <laughs> what have you seen of Ben Wheatley? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of the films. So, I don't think I've seen a Ben Wheatley film, but I know of Kill List, hence I'm thinking of murders. And I know of, is it a field in England? Yes, it and is. And therefore, I'm thinking of fields. It's very late and I'm very tired. Mm. So, I know he did, like, I, mean, like, I want to say the Roundheads and the Cavaliers. Like the Civil England. War. Yeah. Yeah. So we, 
but I and I know that there were very well known British actors in that. Yes. Like the guy from Inside Number Nine. Yeah, Reese Shearsmith. Yeah, so he's mm. and so I I have these tiny little bits of information that I'm pulling from the back of my head, and I know that Kill List was was very violent and very controversial and. My feeling is that Ben Wheatley was quite a controversial director. Isn't the one about them being in a caravan as well? Sightseers, yeah. Yeah. So they're the three that I've seen. Right. Um, Kill List has an ending that will stay with me till the day I die. I know the ending. Okay. I know the ending and I I agree. So I know of it and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know why you're nervous to even mention that because it is, it's... Yeah. Well, um, I, th- I think it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I just shocking. finished that and went, bloody hell. Yeah. yeah. Sightseers, I think, is a brilliant piece of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think A Field in England is something I will probably approached in the wrong mood. I, th- I think there's a lot going for it. And then he has moved into more um, commercial films mm-hmm. with High Rise and Free Fire. Uh, obviously getting... Bigger name stars, so Tom yes. Hiddleston stars in High Rise, I think. And yeah, he just yeah. Is Brie Larson in Free Fire. Yeah, she is. Yeah, and a number of other people as well in Free Fire because I really wanted to see that because it had a really good cast. Is mm. Killian Murphy in that? Killian Murphy, uh, Shalter Copley, uh, but Noah Taylor's in it. Yeah, a lot of people and a lot of pe- a couple of people from Rebecca. Sam Riley's in it, as is Amy Hammer. Oh really? I didn't yeah, know that. No, so he's worked know. with them before. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, when I found out that he was doing Rebecca, I did think, ooh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is, is he going to turn it on his head? Are we going to have this totally mental gothic horror? I've never seen the film version, the original film version of Rebecca. I have only ever seen the theatre production, which you took me to as a present. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah it was, yeah, yeah. And it was a knee-high theatre production, knee-high theatre is a theatre production company which I absolutely love. They had done Brief Encounter a few years back and I absolutely adored that production. And so when it came around that they were doing Rebecca at our local theatre, you took me to see it. So all of my knowledge of Rebecca comes from the theatre. Okay. Which, it's difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of people will know the original film and... Theatre looks at things differently. You, you know, the the storyline is taken off in different directions in theatre, and mm. emphasis is placed on different things in theatre. Just at the basic level, because of you're just on a stage, yes. so what they can do within the stage has limitations compared to cinema. Yes. Although, of course, your imagination can take you anywhere. So I'm just sort of I'm hesitating on that one a little bit. But that's all I know of Rebecca is the theatre production, not the film. Okay. So coming into this, I had that really wonderful production in the back of my mind. And then I had Ben Wheatley thrown in the mix. And I thought I was going to get something totally off the wall. That was not what happened. (laughs) Correct. So it's a Netflix film. I think it was originally meant to come out no, this, this was always a Netflix production. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It so, was... yeah, okay. Well, I'll just start. It's a Netflix film. Stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not mad, or there's no fields, there's no weird endings. Stop it. 
it's a standard well done yes but traditional retelling of rebecca yes just to i don't think there's any spoilers in this but just to mm. uh, give people an idea who might not have seen the original because it's 1940s so it's a long time ago or read the, the daphne de Maurier book yeah. so rebecca is the story of a girl who marries someone certainly uh, quite a few social levels above her a widower um, a recent widower um, after a short romance, she moves to his house of Mandalay. Mm. Which is his like, ancestral home. Yeah, his estate, his family mm. estate. And she is haunted by the ghost. Not not literally, mm. but there is the staff and the people around her all talk about the um, departed Rebecca um, as being this amazing person. And to the point of almost obsession. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Original was Hitchcock's only Oscar. Um, played by Laurence Olivier. Plays uh, Max and De Winter. Who's the widower. Yes. Um, and so now we move forward 80 years and we have Lily James playing Mrs. De Winter. The new the new, new Mrs. De Winter, Army Hammer playing Max and De Winter, Kristen Totscom, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas playing Mrs. Danvers, who is the um, head of the household staff. And Mrs. Danvers is actually, it's a very people are silly literary or um, no fiction. Yeah, the, the Mrs. Danvers character as the housekeeper, the, the sort of the uh, gothically dark housekeeper who pops up in corners and mm. says strange things. That's quite a trope now. You know, yes. People talk about, oh, that's, she's a very much a Mrs. Danvers type character. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I went into it thinking I was going to get something completely different. That being said, I am not disappointed. And I've, I've read a load of reviews of this version of Rebecca, and I think people were of our view that we were they were going to get something different. And when they didn't get that different Rebecca... Yeah. They were disappointed, and the reviews seem to be quite cruel, I think, to be quite honest with you. I think they they are wanting something that it isn't, and they're punishing Ben Wheatley for not giving them a Ben Wheatley, in inverted commas, film. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the performances. I do think Christian Scott Thomas might be in a completely different film to everyone else. I mean, she is absolutely going for it as Mrs. Danvers. Yeah. Um, and some of the other performances are, let's say, a little bit more tra- traditional <laughs> um, and, and not quite so out there. There are some moments of melodrama, which I found a bit over the top, and, you know, people writhing around on the floor suddenly and then popping up. But I really enjoyed the performances. I loved Sam Riley in this. He pops up as a sort of a secondary character. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you on Sam Riley. He is having a wonderful time, and he he plays a cad. I feel he is playing Sam Riley in this. No, I think he's playing like this. This very, uh, he's, I can only think of the word cad now. But he's yeah. playing this man about town who you know is 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 there to to dissemble and to um, make us feel uncomfortable and to to lead Lily James down an interesting path on a horse. You know? <laughs> I kind of anticipate that's what Sam Riley does all day. 
wearing a little tash and uh, being a pub and talking about finding the fillies and uh, yeah, nice see, yeah. nice see Rob Pattinson's dad in it. Who? What? Robert Pattinson's dad. I don't understand. So the the butler. The butler. Jeff Roll, the butler. Right. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't really. I didn't really pay any attention to the butler. Was he in it? Yes. Oh, I didn't even notice. I know what you're talking about because he's in Harry Potter and he's Cedric's dad in Harry Potter. Yeah, he's also Silas in Hollyoaks. God. And the references are getting ridiculous. George in Drop the Dead Donkey, is it? Don't know. Didn't see that. You've never seen Drop the Dead Donkey? No, no, I'm too young. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. You're like four months younger did, than me. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't really take much notice. I know I wouldn't, I would have known Jeff Roll, but I'm obviously paying too much attention to Mrs. Danvers as the housekeeper. Keely Hawes comes Keely up. Keely Hawes does a wonderful turn. Her her accent, it's just so crisp, so crystal clear. Mm. She just immensely posh so well. So there's some great, great people in this, great performances. I enjoyed it. The only thing I would say about it is that it goes on for too long. Okay. I think it's too long. Cut a bit out. Here's my thoughts. <laughs> I find it interesting that you have neither mentioned Lily James nor yeah, yeah, Army Hammer. That's true. Yeah. Now, Army Hammer, I have seen him act. I, I swear I have. <laughs> Call me by your name. He's he's fine in it. He's the Winklevi in uh, the Social Network. Yeah. Yes, he acts twice in that. <laughs> yeah. I know that it's dangerous to compare anyone to Lawrence Olivier. Yes, it is very, very dangerous. But you must know that when you're taking the role. Yeah. And I just think he, like, has one look <laughs> that he gives and then he storms off. And that's all he does. He did do quite a bit of storming, mm. I have to say. Mm. Lily James, I think, is fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like Lily James. Um, I think she's a perfectly serviceable actress. I think she's doing a good job in this. Um... I prefer the performance of in, in the 1940s film. I forget the actress's name, but yeah. Bad, bad lad. Bad lad, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree with you that it's too long. It follows the exact same path as... It has the same flaw as the 1940 film in that it spends 20 minutes tossing about in Monaco fan, with them meeting. I like that bit. Does it need it? it builds up I mean if we suddenly just met and then the next minute they got married I don't think we'd believe it quite so much so I'll say I think it's nice to see Monica it's a beautiful (laughs) beautiful country and Dowd in that plays the person who is employing Lily James's character because she's not named purposely in the film yeah she's like Mademoiselle yeah um who is employing her to be her companion while travelling around uh, Monaco. And Anne Dowd's having a wonderful time and, in and this. Anne is brilliant in yes. this. Um, best known as Patty from The Leftovers, I think. Yeah, is, I yeah. think so. Um, but if... So I'm going to go back to the, um, the stage version that we saw. Mm-hmm. And that just went straight into the, the winters returning to Mandalay. Yes, okay. I think that is a far, um, a far more lean storytelling, which really helps it. I don't think we learn anything from that beginning of them looking at 
looking through telescopes of people getting it on on boats and uh i think it introduces you to lily james's character i think it gives you more about what she's about she's very naive she's very vulnerable i don't think you would necessarily get that if you just land and i realize that i'm saying it knowing full well that the stage production did this but you'd have to do a lot of work after that to get that naivety and vulnerability across we still do get that when when they when they make it to mandalay Mm. We still do. And uh, look, you've took a camera crew to Monaco. When you're speaking to the producers, it's going to be very tough to say, oh, we'll just cut that out. So I can understand why they're there. We don't need 25 minutes of it, of them driving around in a car. I liked it. I'd rather just see, I'd rather just look around Google Maps of Monaco. I'd rather go to Monaco. You've said Monaco a lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What do you want from me? Don't you think it's got the weight of expectation on it, though? Don't you think that if we didn't know it was a Ben Wheatley film and that we had all of this background knowledge to it, we'd just say that was a fun couple of hours and... I think if it wasn't a Ben Wheatley film, I think I'd be saying it was a BBC Sunday night two-parter. Okay. Um, One more thing I'd like to mention. Go on, then. This sticks, as far as I can tell, I never read the book, but Mm. this sticks very carefully and very faithfully to the original material. Yes, I heard that. There is a plot point that is changed in the 1940s film, which is reverted back to the original point Mm -hmm. in in this. It was changed in the 1940s because it was thought to be inappropriate for a film at that time. If it's inappropriate in 1940s, I'll tell you now it's inappropriate in 2020. Okay. Um, And it makes me... It makes it very difficult for me to connect in any way with one of the characters and makes me oh. makes them entirely in, unsympathetic for me. Oh, right, okay. Right. I think for the sake of spoilers, mm. I will not go any further okay. until we've switched off the thing and which I, I'll tell I, you about I, it. I don't really know. I didn't find anything particularly unsavoury, but maybe I've just missed missed the point. Okay. Um. Yeah, maybe I was enjoying Sam Riley's performance so much that I have, I've looked beyond any critical points in this film. Yes. I'm still thinking about him on his horse. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's nice to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a point when I was watching it halfway through about Herwood House. Hatfield House. I don't care. I know. And that's and that's the point I was about to make to you. I think the interesting point is, and this may be something to do, I don't know if it's something to do with lockdown actually, but there are lots of films at the moment that are set in Hatfield House, which is where Elizabeth I um, lived. And it's really obvious because it's got this black and white flooring and there's a picture of Elizabeth I in all her regalia on the wall in the main room and they obviously can't move that so if you watched the film the Yorgos Lanthimos film thank you um if you watch favorite she's in that house if you look at there was an another Elizabeth (laughs) Elizabeth part two I was about to say but Elizabeth the golden age they're in that but at least that was Elizabeth the first, at least it was based in that time. There was a TV production with Tom Hardy recently um, that had had used exactly the same rooms. It's so obvious, that house and, and those rooms. And as soon as they walked into, inverted commas, Mandalay, I was like, Hatfield House. So it took it out of... 
Well, why are you looking at me? Don't you carry on, then I've got a point to make. Okay. Well, anyway, it took me out of it because I knew where it was, is what I'm saying. And the exterior did not match the interior. When I heard you say this, when I watched the film, all I could think of was them car geeks who go, well, clearly that car was not out until three years after this film was made. No one else has this problem other than you. I like locations. I really like knowing where films are I know, are I've been filmed. dragged around plenty of them. <laughs> and because I have a particular affinity to this property, because I've been there and I love that property, and I've got that portrait, I've got a print of the portrait that's in the room that they all go in, that's at the back of the room because they can't move it. They haven't even dressed <laughs> that room. <laughs> they, had, they hadn't. They hadn't even dressed. Everyone knows that's the flooring. Yes, everyone knows it. Everyone knows. And there's a particular... At least 50% of people on this couch know. And there's a particular... There's a, like a long room as well, which has um, what they're called, where uh, suits of armour. And that is so obviously the long room in Hatfield House as well. And they're using it as like a corridor. And it's... it's yeah. It just took me out of it because I know where it is. And I know it's not Mandalay. How niche. <laughs> So you will not have that problem if you're listening to this. I yeah. guarantee it. Um, it is a completely niche problem that Elaine has with this film. But just think, when you're watching that film, when she goes into the house, that's not the outside of the actual house. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't have to imagine that because you were commentating all the way through when I was watching it. The outside it. and the inside, two different houses. Very important. Chilling vision of my life there on this podcast. Um, bear in mind, I, had to, I was dragged around a French museum, which every single exhibit said French, um, English translation coming soon, purely because Marie Antoinette was filmed there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> 10 euros I'm not getting back. It was beautiful. The rooms in that museum were beautiful because that's where they filmed some of the scenes from Marie Antoinette, Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Was it the we French didn't... National Archives or something Yeah, it was like something that. like that. We didn't we didn't need to know the English translations. We weren't there for the the paperwork. We were there to look at the rooms. I was. Well I was I was there for neither. No, you were there for the best um what was it that we had the best falafel Falafel and hummus. That we'd ever had. Yeah. That was a nice breakfast. That was, that was a breakfast. Just, just round the corner yeah. in Paris. Yeah. Nice way to soak up the Cronenberg. Now I'm, I'm now thinking about going on holiday again, so let's not talk about that. You in Monaco, thinking about Paris, getting a bit of holiday envy now. <laughs> right. I think we've got Bake Off to watch. Oh, yeah, we have. And we need to know who's won the election. And that's not going to happen yet. It's still, like, six o'clock in New York. <laughs> It's not even that. It's it's, it's four o'clock in the morning. I know, but I feel I must, I must watch the live news all night just in case something happens. You know, when they're constantly rolling the news and they're like, we're going to go to our correspondent in the Sunshine State and we're going to go, you know, and all of that Where's stuff. Where's the Sunshine oh, State? Oh, don't, don't. I knew you were going to ask me that. It's Florida, Mark. It's Florida. <laughs> well done. I only know that because I watched some of Sky News Live when I was upstairs oh, and they Christ. said that. But you know, that's what I like rolling news. I like this sort of. I'm I'm interested in how they keep it going. Like, how do you keep going? Finding something to say when there's nothing to say. Well, I mean, <laughs> it gets even more niche with Sky Sports News. When, I mean, at no point before Sky Sports News was there a press conference where an England footballer tells them for a new kit launch, 
when England footballer tells them just how these new socks are going to make them score even more goals than before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They have press conferences for new kit launches wow. that that like Sky Sports News cover and stuff like that. It, it's like because there's the breaking news bar at the bottom, mm, yeah. and it's interesting that like this goes from everything to England win the World Cup to Tom Smith has signed a new contract with Ipswich. <laughs> Someone's got some new socks. Yes, yes. Well, you stop up. There's the baby monitor, and I'll yeah. get a nice night's kip. Lovely. Yeah. Fantastic. Still your night, though, darling. That's fine. If you're stopping up, <laughs> you, I'll swap with you. I don't think I should stay up. No. There's, there's too much chocolate in the cupboard, and I might eat it all. Mm. Bake off. Bake off. <laughs> right, well, that, that's, how, that's how life admin started. <laughs> Guess what we're doing next. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. Bye. reminder that you can subscribe to the honeymoon period podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts you can join in the conversation on facebook twitter and instagram just search for the honeymoon pod finally if you like this episode and you think someone else would too please share it see you next time